Welcome to the monthly Three Edge View from the Edge for October 2023. I'm Fritz Foltz, the Chief Investment Strategist here at Three Edge, and joining me here once again today is Eric Beagleisen, Director of Investment Research, Deputy Chief Investment Officer here at Three Edge Asset Management. And today, Eric and I, as we do each month, will provide our firm's most recent outlook for the global capital markets, which is based on our proprietary Three Edge research model. Before we get into our outlook, let's take a brief look at the most recent activity in the global capital markets. Uh, as we know, the end of the month of September marked the end of the third quarter. And in Q3, the S&P declined by over 3%, which was the first down quarter of the year for the S&P, currently trading just above its 200-day moving average, but well below its current high for the year, which occurred during the summer equity market rally in late July. Equities in general have struggled in September as a result of rising interest rates, particularly at the long end of the U.S. Treasury yield curve. By the end of September, the yield on the 30-year Treasury had reached 4.7%, and that was a 13-year high. And then during the first week of October, the 30-year rose more to a yield of 4.9%, which is where we are today. The 10-year U.S. Treasury reached its highest level since 2007. And the important thing to remember, and investors need to remember, is that substantially higher rates on treasuries, that actually matters to all of us, since almost all other rates are set off of the treasury yield curve. Therefore, higher rates on treasuries means increases in the chance of a potential accident in the economy and the financial markets. It's also important to remember that it wasn't, wasn't that long ago, in the midst of the pandemic, we were basically living in a world of free money with the benchmark interest rate by the Fed at basically effectively zero. And the benchmark rate now is 5.3%. So it's just a very different world. Along with rising interest rates, the price of crude oil uh, also increased almost 30% during the third quarter, reaching $90 a barrel, currently trading around $83 a barrel, uh, I think most recently. Now, there was some good news on inflation uh, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, which is called the core PCE deflator, and that strips out food and energy. It showed inflation continuing to come down here in the U.S. However, it remains well above the Fed's 2% target. So with all that going on, let me bring Eric into the conversation. Uh, let's begin with our review of the three edge asset class matrix chart. Eric, I'll turn things over to you. Great. Thanks, Fritz. Uh, we are, for, for once, it's been a few months here where we haven't seen any movement on these boxes, but now we can see some movement. Uh, we're seeing U.S. and Europe remaining negative. Developed Asia slash Japan maintains its positive outlook. And joining Japan, uh, we see our outlook for emerging market equities slash China moving positive as well. Uh, so there's much to discuss there. And we're also seeing some improvement in India. In fixed income, a negative outlook on rates, credit maintaining its negative outlook, and gold moves down a peg uh, to more of a mixed outlook here in the near term, while commodities remains negative. So, you know, relative to the last few months, a decent bit of change. Excellent. So we'll now we'll dig deeper, uh, look at the equity markets, and we'll start with U.S. equities, which definitely struggled in the, in, in in the third quarter. But what are we seeing there now? Yeah. So well, as our Chief Investment Officer Steve Cucchiaro will tell you, um, as measured by price to sales ratios, which is one metric that goes into our valuation process, um, you know, 
it's been up in this elevated range above 2.0 for, for quite some time. And there have been five occasions in the past 150 years when a uh, situation has been similar to today during the railroad stock bubble in the mid 1890s. Uh, then again, in the early 1920s, just after the Spanish flu pandemic. Uh, then in the late 1920s, which preceded the Great Depression. Uh, then you fast forward to the 2000 stock bubble, tech stock bubble. And now again in, in the 2020s. So in the first four cases, we saw substantive equity market corrections um, to more reasonable valuations. And so this isn't a timing instrument. It's just illustrative of the concern that we've had regarding U.S. equity market overvaluation for so long now that we keep talking about. Um, you know, we're certainly off our highs from a price to sales ratio standpoint, but it's still even now elevated above where it peaked during the tech stock bubble. So things are still overvalued. And so caution is warranted, in our opinion. You know, beyond the overvaluation um, of which price to sales ratios are part of, our model research is also showing negativity towards U.S. equities from the continued rise in T-bills and more importantly, as you just touched on, from the rising bond yields that we've seen. So overall, negative outlook remains. Excellent. All right. Uh, let's look at Japanese equities, which are still favorable in terms of our model. So what are we seeing there? Yeah. I mean, they were down in Q3. Uh, Japanese equities... Uh, held up better than other major equity asset classes and produced a positive return for the quarter on a currency hedged basis. So for now, the Bank of Japan, that is the Japanese central bank, um, has kept its benchmark interest rate below zero and has maintained a cap on bond yields, pressuring the yen to weaken. Um, the thing is, investors remain laser focused on the Japan's Ministry of Finance and the BOJ to see if they will again intervene to support the yen and or ensure the 1% cap on, on the long-term bond yields there. So the Japanese yen has approached and flirted with this 150 yen to the dollar level, while the 10-year yields have continued to climb. They're up over 80 basis points now, which is big for them. Uh, and we've seen unannounced JG, G, JGB, Japanese government bond purchases, by the BOJ recently. So this has no doubt led to currency and stock volatility in the region. And that's also part of the rationale for why our approach to investing in this region has taken the form of both a hedged and an unhedged basis. Uh, beyond that, other positives include you know, healthy corporate earnings, increased share buybacks, concerted effort by the Japanese government for, uh, for corporate reform. So outlook remains positive here. I saw a headline on Friday that Larry Fink, I guess, has been over in Japan for a while. At, uh, and maybe it was the BlackRock conference, and he was really endorsing Japan and, and what's going on there in the economy is something really positive not seen since the 1980s. So I know that many people have scars on their backs from thinking that this was uh, the time, but it does look uh, you know pretty positive Very outlook positive for Japan outlook. right now. Yeah. So let's look at Europe, where the outlook is far less positive. That's right. Yeah. European equities declined in the third quarter likely due to the stubbornly elevated inflation and the slowing economic growth prospects in the Eurozone. Uh, in September, the ECB, European Central Bank, felt compelled to raise uh, its main refinancing rate to a high of 4.5%. And it was last seen this high in 2001. So it's been quite some time since we've seen a rate that high. Um, signs of a slowing economy uh, in Europe. Uh, ECB President Christine Lagarde she signaled that um, the latest hike, which is the 10th in a 14-month-long fight against inflation, was likely to be the last for some time, although time will tell if that's true. Uh, monetary policy in the Eurozone 
presents a tricky balancing act for the ECB, given that European GDP growth could come in negative for Q3. And so then other factors negatively impacting European equities uh, beyond this rising short-term rates um, are the actual inverted yield curve measure that we calculate for the region, um, just doubling down on, on the negativity. So negative outlook remains. All right, excellent. So let's shift gears and look, as you mentioned, uh, emerging markets slash Chinese uh, equity markets uh, now have turned positive in terms of our model. So what is the model saying about those markets that make them to be uh, more attractive now? Yeah, a bit of a contrarian outlook here. Um, although Chinese and more broadly emerging market equities rallied during the first half of July, they gave those gains back and more in August and September, finished down in the right. third quarter. Chinese equities are down around 10% on the year. Broader EM equity basket is more flat on the year. Um, model research indicates that China and EM equities more broadly continue to represent this undervalued market, particularly relative to the US. So that's, that's favorable. Now, keep in mind, from February of 2021 through to October of 2022, Chinese equities fell about 63%. Broad emerging market equities down 36% over that same period. And while we saw a short-lived rebound following the government stimulus measures in Q4 of last year, that did little to stem the trend back down through much of this year. So no doubt things can get worse, but perhaps they could be poised for a potential rebound now as recent price declines may already factor in much of the negative news surrounding the region. We've all seen the headlines, geopolitical tensions with neighbors in the US, uh, property market woes, uh, you know, the failure to turn the COVID lockdowns into an engine for global growth. So if all that bad news is factored in, perhaps there's a bit of a floor here. You know, in addition, economically, more is like a catalyst here. We're seeing this rising short-term yields in the region, which could be indicative of, of the potential for growth uh, in emerging market economies. So taken together, the model has a positive outlook, though it is worth warning, you, know, you know, mentioning that any potential setback in the U.S., would likely impact this outlook, and, and therefore we'll, we'll, we'll be watching that closely. Yeah, but the model does have a pretty good history when it gets into these types of situations. And I, I sort of describe it as, well, you know, you're looking at the U.S. equity market and you see a market that's you know, much less attractive from a valuation standpoint. And so you're trying to bang out some return without exposing yourself to those equity markets that are so dramatically overvalued. And yeah, as you said, you have to be ready to say, Okay, we'll 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 exit this if if that's what it takes. But I think it's a good risk reward trade off potentially here. Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Uh, lastly, India. Yeah, what are we seeing there? So the yield curve measure that we calculate for India is slightly positive, which is a good thing. There, uh, more significant steepening in the yield curve could signal you know higher economic growth and support Indian equities in the in the months ahead. The RBI or the Reserve Bank of India's attempts to reduce inflation through rate increases has largely been successful, um, but the valuations do remain uncompelling. So the outlook is a bit more mixed now, which is actually an improvement from the negative outlook we've had for the, pr the prior several months. So this is all very supportive and in the direction of this overarching positive view we have in emerging market equities. Excellent. All right. So let's exit the equity markets, take a look at the fixed income and the bond markets where, you know, as we've already discussed, we saw U.S. Treasury yields, particularly in the long end, really 
uh, back up, particularly over the last 30 days. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because I remember yesterday you and I were talking about how Wall Street strategists are sort of divided as to, okay, yields are high enough now that you want to go out and take on some duration while others saying, no, 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 we're, we're, we're not there yet. So very divided. But what is the model telling you? What, what are you seeing yeah. in terms of yeah. uh, bond market? Yeah, well, we did get yeah, longer dated treasuries, like you mentioned, they took a beating in the third quarter as yields surged at that long end of the treasury market, the 10 and the 30. The problem for the bond market is that the U.S. economy and the labor market remain somewhat resilient, even in the face of this aggressive monetary tightening. And investors yeah. are concerned that the Fed may need to keep interest rates higher or longer to combat inflation, which is coming down. But as you mentioned, still well above the Fed's 2% target. Uh, you know, also weighing on U.S. Treasury yields is the government's large funding requirements, which means an increase in the issuance of treasuries, while at the same time, the Fed is no longer purchasing treasuries for its balance sheet. So more supply and less demand. The market's outlook, the market outlook for, for yields is all over the map, like you just referenced, with some believing the worst is behind us, while others believe it's possible the Fed may bring rates to 7%. So... <laughs> You know, given that, we, we just continue to favor shorter-term U.S. Treasury instruments. They're earning an attractive yield with relatively low duration and credit risk and serve as, as dry powder for, for opportunities when they present themselves. Okay. So what about the corporate bond market, referred to as the credit markets? What are we seeing there? Yeah, not a lot, uh, not a different change here than anything we've been saying for quite some time. You know, negative outlook for U.S. equity market. And so we continue to maintain our cautious outlook for, for credit markets in the near term. All right. Well, then shift gears again and look at real assets, which are, you know, they're an important part of our investment universe. So uh, what are we seeing there, starting with gold? Yeah, uh, the price of gold declined in the third quarter as well. We saw real yields, uh, that is inflation-adjusted yields, continue to move higher, and the U.S. dollar continue to strengthen. So these are both negatives for real assets that are priced in dollar terms. Um, however, should real yields stop rising or trend sideways and or begin to decline because of falling U.S. bond yields, uh, rising inflationary expectations or renewed monetary easing by the Fed, then we would expect the goal, the, the outlook for gold to, to change to be a bit more positive. But in the near term, not so much. So that's interesting because that links gold to uh, the yields that we're seeing in the treasury market. Because what people might say is, well, they're so high now that, you know, they might cause an accident, you know, in the markets or the economy. And at that point, the Fed would have to back off. And if we got in that scenario, then gold would uh, could potentially move much higher. So it's interesting, the connection between those asset classes. All right. What about the uh, commodities market? And I guess particularly, maybe we should look at oil prices, but what is the model seeing there across the, you know, the commodity landscape? Yeah. And you refer, you touched on oil at hitting that high of 90 recently. Um, energy prices do remain elevated, contributing to the potential for inflation to remain elevated globally and making the, the, the job of central bankers inflation fighting mandate uh, that much more challenging uh, in the months ahead as they're, they're forced to stay tighter than market participants anticipate. Um, while the threat of a slowdown in the global economic growth weighs on commodity prices, along with the strengthening U.S. dollar, the supply shortages we've seen so far, along with continued geopolitical uncertainty, may provide support. So you take it all together and it, it's still a negative outlook overall, but you could see a world where things could swing another different way. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts here in the commodities model. All right, great. So one piece of breaking news, at least it was breaking news yesterday on Friday, is we got the jobs report, and it was much 
larger than anticipated. It was something like 330 some odd thousand, and the consensus was for half that, maybe 170,000. So it's a very big number. But at the same time, it's only one number, and wages actually, I think, ticked down, is that right? And unemployment ticked up, so it's really a mixed bag. Yeah, it seems like that's where we've been for some time. You're generally getting mixed data, not a real clear direction of, of you know, all gung-ho, go, let's equity markets back to new highs, but not exactly end of the world scenario either. Yeah, so anyway, that's one more data point, and as I said, uh, too many times, we're getting tired of it now, is we seem to all be living in the Fed's world. And I mean, I just think that's, that's, that's the way it's going to be uh, for a bit. But Eric, thank you very much for your update. Appreciate that. And that will do it for Eric and me for this month's edition of The View from the Edge. Eric and I will be back in early November with the next edition of The Three Edge View from the Edge. Steve Kukiaro and I will be back next week with the latest edition of The Three Edge Week in Review. If you'd like a hard copy of the Three Edge View from the Edge newsletter, you'll find that on our website at threeedgeam.com. Uh, as a reminder, our entire library of video content is available on our Three Edge YouTube channel. And if you think someone might benefit from these videos, please feel free to share them. So on behalf of Eric and everyone here at Three Edge, thanks for listening. This commentary is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. The opinions expressed in View from the Edge are those of Mr. Foltz and Mr. Beagleisen and are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. This commentary is not intended to provide personal investment advice and does not take into account the unique investment objectives and financial situation of the listener. Investors should only seek investment advice from their financial advisor. The observations include information from sources that 3Edge believes to be reliable, but the accuracy of such information cannot be guaranteed. Investments, including common stocks, fixed income, commodities, and ETFs, all involve a risk of loss that investors should be prepared to bear.